This is the last message that I'll do in this biography series. Um, what I want to look at this morning is somewhat the ascension of Christ. And I say somewhat because I, I tried to figure out what I wanted to do with the ascension. It's obviously the last thing in the list. And, and if, you, if you look in, your, in the Gospels, in the Scriptures, you know, from the resurrection to the ascension, there's a handful of things there in each Gospel, and there's some different things there in each Gospel. We could have talked about all kinds of things, right? We could have talked about Peter and Jesus' interaction by the sea. That's an important thing that takes place. We could have talked about Thomas and doubting and not having faith. Uh, we could have talked about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. That's obviously a pretty well-known story and what happens there too. But I kind of had all these things laid out and I couldn't figure out a way to bring them all together. They seemed, you know, they're, they're different things. And how do you bring them all in and talk about them all in regards to the ascension? It just honestly seemed too difficult. I didn't even really know if it was possible. They all could have been their own sermons in their own light anyway. So what I, what I instead decided to do was I, I really wanted to talk about one particular aspect of the Ascension that I have talked about before in the past. Um, I preached on this uh, one time when the three of us preached on the Ascension. It was a, a while back. Um, but what I spoke on then was what I called the beneficial departure of the Lord Jesus. Does anybody remember that? Yes. <laughs> a little bit. So... Um, those of you who do remember it, do you remember what, it, what was the aspect of, of the ascension that I talked about in that regard? Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. So that whole idea comes, and we'll look at it, John 14 to 16, sort of. It's kind of sporadic in there. But the idea was that Jesus' departure, His ascension was a benefit to the disciples and, and to us. So Jesus going away was not some harmful thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing. It was actually a good thing. And I wanted to, to look at that at some point before. But I want to come back to that again because as we think of the ascension, this is the element that I wanted to bring together from all of the Gospels for us to see this. That, that Jesus' departure was a benefit. And his, although His physical body left these disciples, left the earth really, um, he would send His Spirit who would not just dwell with those disciples as Christ did, but rather He would dwell in them. It, it would no longer be that Christ is just in the midst of these men, but rather that in a real sense Christ by His Spirit is in these men in a powerful way. So in the, in the ascension of Jesus, we, we, we get the Spirit but we also get something else. We get a commission, a commission of work that ought to be done, that the church is supposed to accomplish. And we're left with the Spirit to accomplish that work. And we're left with a promise from Christ that that work will be accomplished. And we sang these words last week. I was going to sing it again this week, but decided to do some other songs. But it, that song, There is a Redeemer. What's the chorus of that song say? Maybe you got to think about it for a minute. Yeah. You're working us to our son and leaving your spirit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till your work on earth is done. And that's really the idea that I want to get at this morning. That at the ascension of Christ, he departs and he leaves his spirit to accomplish the work that He has given to His people. So that's where we're going here. And, and really to see that, we gotta, we got to see the promise of Christ to these disciples. So I want you to go to the book of John. And we're going to see this laid out from Christ. The promise. If we're going to see how it's, how it's worked out in the life of the disciples and then in us, we got to backtrack a little bit to see what did Christ actually tell those disciples. 
And he spoke to them about a time that would come when he would leave and he would send his spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth, to be a helper for these men and for the church to come. And as I said, the promise is kind of sporadic through John 14 into John 16. I want to read a number of these different passages here so we can see the particulars of what Jesus is saying. So the first one is in John 14, verses 15 through 17. Here's what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is the first time in this section here that Jesus is bringing up <coughs> bringing up this helper and him leaving and the spirit coming, the spirit of truth that he speaks of. And um, he tells them <coughs> that they already know him. Now this is interesting because this passage here can really be understood two different ways because it, it can actually be in, uh, in, interpreted two different ways. Um, so it either says, one, you're, if you're reading the same ESV that I'm reading, it, it says that you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is one way we can understand this. The other one, and you might have a note in your Bible there, but some translations don't translate it that way. Some translations translate it this way. You know him for he dwells with you and is in you. Now you might think, uh-oh, <laughs> that's a big problem because that doesn't say the same thing. One says, you know him, for he, <clears throat> he dwells with you and will be in you. And the other one says, he dwells with you and is in you. <coughs> the issue is, some manuscripts say one way and some say the other way. But the fact of the matter is, either one of these are entirely understandable. Uh, we, we can take it either way, and it still makes total sense. Because either, what we would recognize is either the Spirit dwelt amongst his disciples and amongst God's people, generally speaking. But what Jesus is promising is that the Spirit will come in a mighty way and now dwell in them following Pentecost. So that's one way. Or we could understand it to say that these disciples experienced in some way, some, some smaller way, the Holy Spirit and his power in their life. But come Pentecost, they're going to receive a baptism, a filling of the Spirit, a, 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 an empowering of the Spirit that they had not yet known in any such way. And so either one of these, honestly, is, is entirely understandable. <clears throat> but the, the idea is simply this. The promise is simply that the Spirit will come in a mighty way and will be their helper, their counselor, the Spirit of truth. I, I like the way that this is translated, helper. Because it helps us to see what really is in view here. Now, the next section, chapter 14, 25, and 26, is where it comes up again. <clears throat> chapter 14, 25, and 26, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. <clears throat> so now there's some, more, there's some more elements here getting attached to this promise. The Spirit will come. He'll bring clarity and remembrance to the things that Jesus has said. This is part of what the Spirit is going to do. And we'll see this again in, in the next section. But you can begin to see here what is this Spirit going to do that, that Jesus is saying is going to come as He leaves. And how is He going to accomplish this? The disciples, brethren, are going to be witnesses for Christ. And the promise is that the Spirit is going to come. He's going to be their helper. He's going to dwell within them. He's going to bring to remembrance all that Jesus said to them so they can then turn around and speak it to others. Do you remember another message that I had uh, preached, I don't know, some time ago, maybe over a year ago, but uh, 
It was the passage where Jesus talks about what is in the darkness is going to be brought to the light. What you've heard in, in uh, I think he says in rooms, you're going to preach from the housetops. Anybody remember this that I had preached about some time back? Well, this was not about, you know, on the last day, on the judgment, all these things are going to be declared of what you did and said. But rather, it was about the disciples taking what Jesus had given them in private and proclaiming it openly. So here's what's, this is, this is what's happening, brother. This is what's going to happen pretty soon here. That's a promise of the Spirit. He's going to bring to remembrance all that Jesus taught these men so they can go forth and teach what Christ had taught them. He's going to come and be their helper. The Spirit's going to empower them and fill them. Now, the next section, chapter 15, verses 26. And we're going to read all the way through 16, verse 15. So here, Jesus begins in 26. But when the Helper comes... Now, we already know who He's talking about, right? He's already used that terminology. We know He's talking about the Spirit. When the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. Whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for, I will, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here we see this, this aspect of this, this bearing witness Right? He says, the spirit of truth is going to come in verse 26. He will bear witness about me in verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So this aspect is now coming in here. We're getting all the elements in this series of discussion that Jesus is having with the disciples. They're going to give testimony. They're going to bear witness here to the truthfulness of who Jesus Christ was and what he did. And the Spirit's going to come. And He's going to be vital in this work, brethren. They're not going to be able to do this without the Spirit. And then in chapter 16, He tells them. He's like, He recognizes. I'm telling you, I'm going away. And sorrow is filling your hearts. You see, brethren, He recognizes. These disciples, they're burdened about this thing. You're going away. Jesus is leaving. And it's understandable, brethren. These men, they had been with Jesus the last three years or so. And now he speaks to them about his departure. He's going to go away. He's going to leave them. But, but he gives them this, this glorious promise. This is a text I, I, I uh, preach on that, that, that time about the beneficial departure of Jesus Christ. He says, nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. Well, they needed that, brethren. They needed those words. It is to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because if I don't go away, the helper's not coming. It's actually a benefit to them, brethren. And his point is to tell these disciples, my departure is not intended to cause you sorrow. It is causing you sorrow, but it ought not to cause you sorrow. My departure is actually going to be for your good. It's actually going to be an advantage to you. It's actually going to be a benefit to you. And you got to think, brethren, these disciples, what do you think they probably thought? I don't know about that. That doesn't sound very good. 
We, we like it that you're here, Jesus. I mean, these people, brethren, they had seen miraculous things take place at the hands of Jesus. They had walked amongst God in, the, in human flesh. They knew He was the Son of God. You know, Peter made that confession. So, the, brethren, these men, it's like they would have recognized, I don't know, Lord, it's good that you're here with us. We don't want you to go away. But he's telling them something better is coming. It's actually better. You, you think it's better that I'm here, but what's coming if I leave is actually better for you. But then we've got to remember, we, we have actually gained something in the departure of Jesus Christ. In one sense, we've lost something, but in another sense, we've gained something better. That's what the scripture tells us. These disciples, they gained something in Jesus' departure. It was an advantage to them that Jesus ascended. His ascension, brethren, would be an advantage for those disciples, and it is for us. And so he goes on to explain, of course, what is the Spirit going to do? He says, if I, but if I go, I will send him to you, the Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict, convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he, one of these things that the Spirit's going to do is come and convict. He's going to guide them into all truth. You see that in verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will declare what is to come. Verse 13, you see that there as well. And then He's going to manifest and declare Christ. Verse 14, you can see those different elements there. So this is, brethren, exactly what the disciples were going to need. If nothing's missing here. Everything that the disciples were going to need to accomplish the work of Christ is all present here. They're going to need, brethren, this mighty, empowering spirit who would, as they go out, and they're going to declare who Christ is, they're going to take the truth that the Spirit of God gives them, reminds them of the truth, they're going to preach that truth, and as they preach that truth, the Spirit of God is going to be out there convicting Everything's present here in what, what's going to need to happen. And so the promise is given of the Lord, brethren, and He's not going to fail to deliver. He's going to send that Spirit, and He's going to empower His people. He's going to bring to remembrance the words that he, that he spoke so they can preach and testify of Christ. And the Spirit's going to convict the world concerning sin so that they hear the message of Christ and they come to Him. You see, all this is done because the Spirit's present. And if Jesus doesn't go away, none of that happens. Spirit's not there. None of that's happening, brethren. And so Jesus gives this promise, and He's going he's to bring it, brethren. He's going to bring it to pass. He's going to deliver it. And so we see it begin to start to take place in John chapter 20. So this is where we, we actually now make it. So resurrection has taken place. Now we're going to begin to look at what are the things that, you know, how does this, how does this begin to come out? before the ascension of Christ. Um, it happens a couple different times. I want you to see it. It's like in some of these Gospels, it comes out in different lights, and I want you to see how it comes out in each place here. So in John chapter 20, 19 through 23, this is, this is actually the night of the resurrection. Um, you can see that there in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so this is actually the day of the resurrection. Jesus rose. If you look back in, in chapter 20 a little earlier, you see these people went to the tomb. You know, we talked about all that a number of weeks ago. But this is the evening of the resurrection. So this is coming out right away, right after the resurrection. We begin to see this kind of starting to be fulfilled and unfold a little bit. So let me read this, 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So here you see this. Jesus comes to the disciples just after the resurrection. He's been raised from the dead. He comes and meets with the disciples and he tells them, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
Now, this carries some weight, brethren. This carries some pretty heavy weight because the Father sent Jesus to do some, some specific things. And now He's telling the disciples, I'm sending you out just like I was sent out. Now, let me ask you this. There could be a lot of answers here, but I'm hoping we're going to be on track with what Jesus is saying. What was the work of Christ? Give me some answers. Huh? To preach Himself. So that, that's true. Yep. I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're going with this. The work of Christ, brother, what was He sent to do? You know what? If you go through John, this actually comes out quite a bit. I'm just going to read you a couple of these. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Okay, right, at, right out of the gate in John chapter 1, it's talking about Jesus Christ. And what is He doing? He's making the Father known. That's what He's doing. John 8, 26. He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from Him. So here's Jesus, and He's saying, the Father who sent me, He's true, and I am declaring to the world what He has told me. What I've heard from Him. Jesus is declaring the words of the Father. He's preaching of Him. John 8, 28. I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. So here He is again. What is Jesus doing? What's His work? Huh? Revealing God. He's talking, right? He's preaching. He's giving testimony of who God is. John 12, 49 through 50. I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So here's Jesus Christ. He's receiving a message and He's, he's given that message. John 17, 8. I have given them the words that you gave me. Here he's talking about the disciples in John chapter 17. I have given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them and have come to know the truth. So here he is again. He's preaching of, he's preaching of the Father, brethren. He's preaching of the truth of God. He gave the words that the Father gave to him, to the disciples, and they received those things. John 17, 26, I may known to them your name. So there you have this idea, right? He's making known the reality of who God is. And I will continue to make it known. So these are just some passages in John. Then you get some others throughout the scriptures. Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So you have here, the Son is revealing God. Luke 4, 43, the disciples, they come and they find Jesus in a desolate place and they tell him, hey, all these people over here are seeking you. And you know what Jesus tells him? He says this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus is coming into the world, brethren. Yes, we recognize he came to die for sinners. Undoubtedly, this is true, but it's more than that. He didn't just, he could have ju just came into the world and just died right away. But he does other things here. He's making known, brethren, the kingdom of God. He's making known who God is. And what he, and, and this is the idea. Jesus came as an ambassador from heaven to speak on, on the Father's behalf. And now what Jesus is telling his disciples is now I'm sending you out in the same way as ambassadors in my name, in the name of Christ, to speak of me. And the commission is given here, brethren, and it's further expanded in, in other places. But we see that Jesus, he gives them here this commission. It's kind of in, in shrouded terms, of course, but he says he, this idea is here. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So after he gives them this commission, what do you think he says to them? He says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now look, I think what's happening here is more of a, a symbolic event than it is really what's taking place because we see that in, in Acts at Pentecost is when they actually do receive the Spirit. But there's this, there's this confirmation there's this promise here. Jesus is sort of enacting this thing that's, that is going to take place here soon. And they were going to receive it at Pentecost. But Jesus is symbolizing this for the disciples. 
It's like he's telling them, I'm sending you out as the Father has sent me. Now, receive the Spirit of God so that you can accomplish that work. Because you know what was true of Jesus Christ, brethren. He came into this world and he was, he was one who was going to testify, make known God. And what was he full of? The Spirit of God. So now he's going to send his disciples out. And what's he going to need to make sure if you're going to go out and do like I did, what are you going to need? You're going to need the Spirit of God. You're not going to do that unless you have the Spirit of God. So the promise is there. Brethren, just as God, you remember what happened? What is this? Does this remind you of anything? He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Genesis. It's exactly right. And what, what happens in Genesis? What is God doing when He breathes on someone? And when He breathes on Adam? <clears throat> breathes life into them. Now, I don't think what's taking place here is that this is the conversion, you know, of these disciples. They were already, seemed to be converted and followers of Jesus. But nevertheless, the idea is that just as God breathed life into man when He was made, and then man was what? Sent out to do something. He had a commission from God that he was given. So now here, the Lord Jesus Christ, he breathes life, so to speak, by the Spirit into these men who were new creations. And they're given a commission just like Adam was. Go out, be like I was. And, and we'll see how it unfolds more in, in Matthew and in Luke. But that commission is there, brother, and the Spirit of life is there. That's going to empower them to do this commission that Christ is giving them to do. Now, look at, this, look at how this unfolds further. Matthew 28. <clears throat> now, we usually think, um, well, maybe you guys don't, but I did for years, that at the end of Matthew 28 here, this was the last thing that took place with Jesus and the disciples. It's not the last thing that takes place with them. We're going to see this come out again when Jesus is with the disciples actually before His ascension. This is, not, this is not at His ascension. Because what we saw was the last event, Jesus with the disciples, John chapter 20, He's there right after the resurrection. That happens, that happens right away. But if you remember, when we looked at the resurrection, Jesus meets some of the women on the road and He tells them, go to Galilee. Tell my brothers, go to Galilee. I'll meet them there in Galilee. And this is what happens here. Jesus does go to Galilee, and he meets the disciples there in Galilee, and this takes place in Galilee. But the ascension takes place back in Jerusalem, or at least on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. We'll look at that in a minute. But here, Jesus now goes to Galilee to meet the disciples. And this is some further development of that commission. I want, what I'm trying to get you guys to see here that we don't often get if we don't read all the Gospels together is that there's development of this. He meets with the disciples right after the resurrection, the night of, on John 20. And there's a little bit of it. There's a little bit of light. The commission and the promise is kind of there. And then in Matthew 28, it's a little more. And then in Luke 24, it's a little more. We're going to see how this kind of unfolds. But it comes in at multiple places. So now, Jesus has already told the disciples what He told them in John 20. Now He's with them in Galilee here in Matthew 28. Look at, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this passage, of course, is well known enough, doesn't require a lot of explanation. But I want you to notice the two elements here that we saw in John chapter 20. They're told to go and make disciples. Here's this commission again. Now, if we compare this one with John 20, we can see the similarity there, right? What did Jesus do when He came here? He made God known, of course. He preached. He came to die for sinners. But what did He, what did he have with Him that went around with Him all the time? Those disciples, right? He had these men that He discipled. And so here you have Him telling these disciples, go and make disciples. So we can see this. 
He, he sends his disciples out to do just what he did, to make disciples. Brethren, he came teaching. What does he send his disciples out to do? It says right here, right? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you can see how this is connected with one another. John 20, as I've been sent, now I'm sending you. Matthew 28, go, make disciples, teach, do the things that I did. The Father sent me to do these things. I've done these things. Now I'm taking you, my disciples, and you go out and you do these things. Then we have this phrase at the end. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, brethren, in what way was Christ, is Christ going to be with them in this task? In what way is Christ with us? Undoubtedly, He's not here physically, right? We saw that in John 14 and John 15 and John 16. He's telling them, I'm going away. You're not going to see me anymore. So He tells them, it's like He's... He, we already know that took place. That already, the disciples already know that Jesus had told them this. And then here he is in Matthew 18, and he's saying, Behold, I'm with you always. Well, Jesus, you told us you're leaving. How are you going to be with us? Brethren, I think this, of course, is the promise. The promise of the Spirit. That he is going to be present with them to help them in this work. To help them in the accomplishment of the commission that Christ has given them. And the point is the same. It's the promise of the Spirit of Christ Himself to be present with His people in the help of this work. They're given a commission and they're given a promise from Christ to receive help from Him in the accomplishment of that commission. So here's the sec. right? This is it's coming out again in Matthew 28. Now, look with me at Luke 24. Because this is the last scene before the ascension. Luke 24, 36 through 53. As I said, that account in Matthew 28, the last scene there in the gospel is not the last scene where Jesus leaves before his ascension. He's with the disciples there in Galilee, and they come back to Jerusalem. And this is the final time that the commission is given and the promise of the Spirit is given when he meets with these disciples right before his ascension takes place. So Matthew, or, sorry, Luke 20, 24, look at, actually we're going to start in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. So here, he expounds the scriptures with the disciples and he tells them, repentance and the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. Now, this was going to be the work, brethren. This was the work that these men were to do, the disciples and the church that was to come. This was going to be their work. And then he gives them again this promise. He tells them, you're going to be my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father. So this is now the third time this is coming out after his resurrection. John 20, it comes out. Matthew 28, it comes out. Luke 24, it comes out again right before his ascension. Here's the promise. The Spirit, brethren, is the promise. The commission was given again, and the promise is given again. And he told, we, and listen, brethren, remember, he told them, John 14 through 16, I'm going away. I'm going to leave. The helper's going to come. And he, and, and he gives his disciples this work to accomplish, 
to go out, make disciples, to do what I did, right? To, repentance and the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in all nations. And they get the promise of the helper so they can actually accomplish that work. Now, with this promise comes some very specific instructions for these men, right? What does he tell them? Behold, I'm sending you the promise of my father, but stay. <laughs> but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So brethren, it's not as though the commission is given by Jesus Christ, and then there's this haphazard scramble to just do everything that Jesus is telling them to do. All right, go make disciples and go preach, and we're just going to scramble and get this thing done. That's not what happens here. He actually gives them a commission, and then he tells them, wait. <laughs> you guys got to preach. You guys got to preach forgiveness and the repentance of sins, and you got to make disciples, and you got to go out and make God known, but you better wait. Don't move a muscle. Don't do anything until you receive the power from the Spirit of God from on high so that you can accomplish this work. Brethren, let me tell you, if this ought to tell us the importance of the Spirit of God in the work of evangelization. If these men who had been with Jesus for the last three years or so, they've walked with Him, they've talked with Him, they've been corrected by Him, they've been shaped and molded by Jesus Christ for the last three years, brethren. And if these men were told, you're not ready yet, you need to wait for the Spirit of God. Brethren, this has got to tell us something about the need of the Spirit of God in evangelism. You'd think that these men were ready. I mean, if you thought of someone who had been, I mean, physically walked and been taught by Jesus for three years, you would think, he's ready. That guy's ready. He knows everything. Send him out. Let him preach. But they're not ready yet, brethren. Don't move, he tells them. Stay in the city until you're clothed from on high with the Spirit of God. Brethren, this is that important for these men who had walked and been that near the Lord Jesus in the flesh. How important is it for us if we are going to go and evangelize the world? We need the Spirit of God, brethren. We need the power of the Spirit of God. Now, this whole thing that we just saw take place in Luke gets fleshed out a little bit more in Acts chapter 1. I want you to see it. It's not... It's not a different, you know, story that takes place, but Luke kind of gives some more details when he writes the book of Acts. And we read this account already. Nick read it as our New Testament reading. But what happens there in Acts chapter 1, uh, 1 through 14, right, you see he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, really, I like what it says here, brethren, because I think implicitly what we can recognize is that what Luke is saying to this Theophilus is that in his other volume in Luke, what he wrote about was what Jesus began to do. And now, what we're going to find out is what Jesus is now continuing to do through the work of the Spirit, through His church. You see, Jesus isn't done with... He, yes, he sat, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But the work of Christ is being continued. Not, not necessarily by Jesus Himself physically on earth, but by the body of Christ which is upon earth. Jesus, Luke is what Jesus began to do. Acts is what Jesus is now continuing to do. And Jesus is continuing to work now through the church. And that's what's implied there in what's taking place. That the Spirit of God is about to come. And this work of Christ is about to continue on with these men. And then we have another explanation of the promise of Christ in verse 8. You will receive the receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he's gone, brethren. That's it. It's the last time commission's given again. You're going to be my witnesses. Promise of the Spirit's given again. And then he's gone. When he said these things, they were looking up and he was lifted up. There he goes. Gone. Commission, promise, gone. And the disciples are left. They're left to wait. You imagine the questions in their mind? Is it going to come? Is the Spirit going to come? Was it all for naught? 
What's going to happen? And you know what happens, right? They, go, they come back to Jerusalem. The disciples are there. They're praying. They're all gathered together in the upper room. And the Spirit of God comes. <clears throat> and the disciples, brethren, they're, they're clothed with power. And they begin to do the work that Christ had given them to do. They begin preaching. They begin making disciples. They're, they're being ambassadors in the name of Jesus Christ. They're speaking of Him. And you know what, brethren? Just as they're doing that, the Spirit of God is doing the work that Jesus said the Spirit of God was going to do. He's leading them to truth. He's bringing conviction of sin upon those who are hearing. He's exalting Christ. So we see all this begin to take place just as Christ had promised it would take place. He ascends, and the disciples, brethren, receive the benefit. They receive the advantage of the Holy Spirit of truth dwelling in them filling them, empowering them to accomplish the commission that Christ had given them to do. Now, all of that is really just what the Bible says. <laughs> but the question, of course, that we have to think about is not just what the Scripture says, but what does it, what does it mean for us? How does this affect us? Does it affect us? Well, the fact of the matter is this, brethren. Those early disciples, when Christ gave them a commission and He gave them a promise of a spirit to begin to work that commission out, the fact of the matter is, brethren, they were going to begin that work, but they were not going to finish that work. You see there, it says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Brethren, the disciples were undoubtedly going to begin that. They were empowered. They were going to begin that. But they're not going to finish this. Do you see the world? I mean, we, we talk about promises all the time in the, in the Scriptures about God's glory covering the earth. I mean, that, that wasn't there when the disciples were, had died and left off. When these 12 men were dead, there's a lot of the world that had not heard about Christ yet. So they're going to begin this work, but they're not going to finish this work. And this is why it matters deeply for us when we think about the commission of Christ and the promise of Christ of the Spirit. Because, brethren, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are partakers of the very same Spirit that Jesus promised to those disciples. And, and we are recipients of the very same commission that He gave those disciples. Partakers of the same Spirit, recipients of the same commission. The work is the same. The Spirit's the same. Brethren, this is a glorious reality. Do you realize it, brethren? That just as much as it was an advantage to those disciples that Jesus went away and sent His Spirit, it is just as much an advantage to you that Jesus went away and sent His Spirit. I know it, brethren. Sometimes it might not feel like it, right? Sometimes we might feel, you know, like it says there, Lord Jesus, come. Sometimes we, we, we deeply desire that. I do. I'm sure you do too. But the fact of the matter is, brethren, that <clears throat> Jesus Christ accomplished all the work that the Father gave Him to do. And in His ascension, brethren, He gives to us the Spirit of God to now accomplish the work that He gave us to do. The Spirit. You know what Paul says in Romans 8? Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God? What? Huh? Not a son of God. Not a son of God. Doesn't belong to him, right? Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God doesn't belong to him. But brother, we have the Spirit of God. What a glorious promise this is. All these Old Testament promises. The Spirit in the Old Testament. All the way through there. The, the Spirit that Ezekiel promises. The new heart and the new spirit. That's ours. The Spirit that cleanses us from sin and unrighteousness causes us to put away idols and to, to walk in the statutes of God. That's ours. That's our Spirit. The Spirit that produces fruit and righteousness is ours. The Spirit who intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. That Spirit's ours. It's not, it wasn't just theirs. The Spirit that guides His people into truth. That's ours, brethren. You know, you go to, you read that in John chapter 17. Oh, he's going to lead and guide into truth. Oh, that was only for the disciples. Hold on a second. You know what it says in 1 John chapter 2? You had the Spirit, the anointing, and what does he do? He teaches you 
Brethren, all these, these realities of the Spirit of God, they're ours. We are partakers of them. He's going to lead and guide us into truth. We have the spirit of power that emboldens His people, fills them so that they can speak and testify of Christ. The promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the helper who would come to accomplish the work of evangelization. It wasn't just for those disciples, brethren. It's for you. It's for me. And when we come to Jesus Christ and we submit to Him, the promise is ours to claim. You remember the words of Peter in Acts chapter 2. He stands up and he preaches to these men. Men and women, I, I suppose, I guess. But he preaches to these people and it says that they were cut to the heart. They heard Peter's preaching. It says they were cut to the heart. And they asked him, brothers, what shall we do? What does Peter say? Anybody remember the words? Repent and be baptized. You know the rest of it? <laughs> yep, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here it is, brethren. They can claim it for themselves. The promise, it's for them. You see, Peter continues. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So there it is, brethren. There you have it. Can't be more clear. The promise of the Spirit of God is laid out to any and all who would come. He's telling them, the promise of the Spirit, it's for you if you come. It's for your children if they come. It's for any and all, no matter how far off they are, if they come, the Spirit of God, the promise of the Father is for them. They're partakers of it. Those 12 men, brother, were not the only men that were going to receive that Spirit. But here's the other side of that deal. What's the purpose? The Spirit of God is the promise, but it's given for a purpose. Brother, the Spirit of God is not given so that we can just have, you know, warm fuzzies inside about the love of God. That's not what the Spirit of God is for. It's not what He's doing. Now, undoubtedly, Paul does say in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. There's some sense in which that the Spirit of God testifies to us that we belong to Him. But brethren, you got to remember, when we looked at what Jesus was telling His disciples, what is attached to that Spirit is a commission. There's a work attached to it. It's not just that you just get the Spirit and you just feel good. The Spirit of God is for you to accomplish some kind of mission, some kind of task. There, Jesus tells us, in regards to the purpose of the Spirit, something particular needs to take place. He promises them that spirit so that they would then go forth and they would do the work that he gave them to do. And as I said, brethren, the disciples, they began that work, but they didn't finish that work. Brethren, the task is not finished. It's not done yet. The world is not covered with the glory of God. Brethren, it's not even that the world isn't covered with the glory of God. The world has not even heard of Christ in many places. They don't even know of this. They don't even know of this Christ. They don't even know of this spirit. And as we consider the ascension of Jesus Christ, brethren, you've got to keep this in mind. As the ascension comes, or as, as the ascension takes place, a commission comes in. Jesus leaves, and he leaves his disciples with something. The commission. Jesus doesn't just go away and then tell his disciples, all right, that was a nice time. I came and died for you all. Go back to your lives and uh, see you in heaven. It's not how this goes. He leaves them, brethren, a work to do, a work to accomplish, and He leaves them a spirit to accomplish that work. Brethren, the ascension of Jesus Christ is a passing of the torch from Jesus Christ, who did the Father's will perfectly. He came, He gave Himself to redeem a people, He made God known. And then He gives that torch to those men whom He made God known to, as Peter says, to those men who have been bought by God, they're a possession of God. They've been called out of darkness so that they might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called them out. That's what it's for, brethren. That's what it's for. This is what we do. Think of these words, 2 Corinthians 
Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we speak. This is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians, brethren. Listen, we have, we've spent the last, I don't know how many months, looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And now we come to the end of the story. But we've got to keep in mind, these Gospels that were written, that we read, and however long it's been that we've been preaching about the life of Jesus Christ. But it's not, we didn't do all that. And these men didn't write this story just so that we could know more about Jesus Christ and what He did. Undoubtedly, yes, that's good. We want to know more. We want to know more about God and who He is and Jesus Christ and what He's done. But brethren, that's not all it is. It's not just to have knowledge of the Bible. Like those disciples, we've got to think, we just spent all this time with Jesus Christ now He's given us a spirit to go out and tell people about this Christ. To go out and actually do that commission to make disciples, to preach forgiveness, repentance, these kinds of things. We didn't just spend all this time with Christ to just wallow in it. Brethren, I hope that you, after seeing Christ all these weeks, or all these, you know, these, these months that we've, we've looked at this biography, that's not just a matter of, oh, great, that was wonderful to see Christ, but that you know now something more of Christ to take out to the world, to teach the world of Christ, of who He is and what He's done. Brethren, that we would speak on His behalf, in His name. That's what He's telling us to do. You go out. You're my witnesses. You're going to testify of Me. I've given you a spirit. And all of this, brethren, is to continue the commission that was given by Christ. And brethren, it awaits its completion. It's not done. You know it's not done. There's a lot of work to be done still. He left His Spirit till the work on earth is done. Jesus Christ ascended, brethren. You see Him? I don't see Him. He's not here physically. But He gave us His Spirit. And in every one of His children, that Spirit dwells to accomplish His work. To go and speak to the world on Christ's behalf. Brethren, will we do it? May God help us. Let me pray.